Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by FexcoCurrency.com. Your route to great rate travel money at participating credit unions. Good morning. Tuesday, the decision by government not to extend the eviction ban. And all this week in the Dáil, some really, really tense and testy exchanges. It's not about one versus the other. You're trying to create a divisive and false narrative that it's landlords uh, versus renters, renters versus landlords, <laughs> renters Mary need landlords, Joe. landlords need renters. Um, I've answered the deputy's question. That was Wednesday. This was Thursday. More people are being and will be evicted because of the decisions that you took and your cabinet took this week. And families are being told what? They are being told there is no accommodation in the emergency system. They are being told that you should present to your local Garda station to keep yourself safe in the year of 2023. Shame on your government. We do not want to make the situation worse. You, you spat out there. You spat out your interest in the landlords. This morning I heard on Pat Kenny, Ono Brin saying, I talk to landlords all the time. The Tiger Daw Have syndrome. You're in here demonising landlords for the last three and four years. You want them out of the market. But then up, up comes your housing spokesperson. I'm a very reasonable man. I will talk to landlords. I'm even talking to developers. Pierre Stoherty will come in and say, you're all developer-led, you're corporate investment-led. I mean, the hypocrisy that spews out of what you're saying. But it has nothing to do with the reality of delivering on the ground. On the News at One, this analysis from Paul Cunningham. Day three of this row, politically, where is it at this lunchtime? It's white hot. White hot is right. But for those potentially facing eviction... Pressure beyond words. On Wednesday's Morning Ireland, these voices from primetime, people who were queuing to rent a house in Tala. The last time I checked, I have applied to 486 houses and this is my third view. And that's in the last year. <laughs> I've literally applied to everything. I, have, I work full time, I have my deposits, references, everything ready to go. And last night I applied to another 80, 82 houses last night. My daughter hasn't, like, she hasn't been to stay with me for the last year. <laughs> it's a nightmare. I, I'm, I want, my, my daughter needs her own place, like, you know. I work full time and a few nights I've had to stay in my van now. <laughs> I've nowhere to go, like, you know. This is probably my 17th or 18th property beyond in the last, say, six months. Um, I'm currently sleeping in my car at the moment. Um, I'm working Monday to Friday. Um, I get up in the morning, drive to work drive back, park somewhere in a housing estate, go sleep in the back of the car, come to the owns like this and just keep going. That's all you can do. It's, it's doing your best. I was renting property in Crumlin and then my landlord wanted to sell. Obviously I had to leave. Couldn't find anywhere to take me, I suppose, the amount of people that are looking for properties at the minute. So I've been sofa surfing for the last almost year, since April 2022, April yeah. last year. Um, I have a three-year-old, so I've been doing it with him, just kind of hopping from place to place since then. We're being made homeless at the end of this month. Me, my four kids, my two grandkids. Um, the stress of it is diabolical. Also on Morning Ireland, this reaction from John Mark McCafferty, CEO of Threshold. We knew this was going to be a very delicate, a delicate balance and a very difficult decision for government. 
Um, but it will mean this uh, ending of the, of the eviction ban in, in March will mean increased homelessness in the short term. The problem is there's very few places or, or nowhere for them to go in terms of the wider housing market. And we're also very much aware of the um, the limits in at local authority level in terms of emergency accommodation, which is the kind of, that's the floor, that's supposed to be the safety net. Um, so I guess my question to government is, like, what do we advise people and families about those options um, when the notices of termination um, you know, start to become triggered from you know, April, May onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we understand you know, a, a moratorium can't last forever and moratoria aren't, you know, aren't a, are not an ideal solution in a, in a properly functioning housing market. The problem is this is not a properly functioning housing market, especially in the private rented sector. And as you've heard, and you might expect, opposition parties were not in favour. Even some in-government parties took serious issue with this decision. Not least, Green TD for Dublin Central, Nasa Hurrican with Clare. I think it's completely the wrong decision and I'm very disappointed that there was nobody in the room with those three leaders to speak up for Green Party values and Green Party policy. Oh, well, but your, Green but your leader Green was Party there. Policy, the Green Party leader was well, there. He, he obviously didn't speak to our policy because our policy is to extend the eviction ban until the crisis is in some way addressed. And, and I can list out all the different ways that we could address the crisis. But right now, I can tell you, and I'm glad to hear that there's houses being you know retrofitted and brought online in other constituencies. But in Dublin Central, where I am, the level of homelessness is through the roof. And I can guarantee you that next month I will be sitting in constituency clinics and there will be mammies coming in to me saying, I am being evicted through no fault of my own. This is no fault evictions. And I am now going to have to move. My children are going to have to be removed from their school and go somewhere else. And there are no more. There are no more hotel rooms in Dublin Central. There are no more B&Bs. I genuinely do not know where we are going to put people. The eviction ban was like a sticking plaster. It was like a, you know, an, an emergency situation so that we could take action in the meantime and do the radical surgery. But the housing minister and the three leaders of the coalition haven't done that surgery. We haven't done the things that we needed to do before we lifted the ban. I know that the, obviously the government is led by Fine Gael Taoiseach and I suspect that, you know, this process of kind of putting, you know, the, the investment interests of people who have two or three homes ahead of the basic needs of people who have none suits Fine Gael fairly well. But it doesn't suit the Green Party. And, and I think we need to be clear about that. It might suit your leader, though, it seems. That, look, as I said, I haven't spoken to Eamon in the last few days, so I well, don't we know, know what he supports it. it. Well, we know he supports it. He said it on his way into Cabinet this morning publicly that he supports this measure. Well, this measure is not in line with party policy. Well, later on Drive Time, Cormac spoke to Housing Minister Dara O'Brien, who pledged to tackle, yes, you've guessed it, supply. But as to what might happen to tenants facing eviction in just a few weeks, this response... In that period since the moratorium started, we've brought back 1,500 vacant social homes back into use. We've built 5,000 new social homes. I've got approval for a further 1,000 homes to be leased, specifically targeted at those who who are homeless as well. Uh, So there are a number of measures there and also approval. All very good, but with respect, Minister, the key question the opposition is raising is all of that is inadequate given the tsunami of homelessness being faced by the state. So where will that mother and her child or father and their child who have been evicted if, in April go? Where will okay. they go? 
if the the mother and child and many I meet many families in this situation, what I brought forward and this government brought forward if that if that family is in receipt of housing assistance payment, i.e. is on a social housing list, the local authority will buy the home. And I got approval today to purchase another fifteen hundred and if we do more than that we will get the funding first. That's only so happened twice in Dublin no, since that's No, that's by. actually Cormac, that figure was thrown out today and it's wholly incorrect. That's about sales that are closed. So how many okay. how many? Actually since since July of last year up to the end of December about 600 homes have been purchased through uh, through acquisitions of existing homes we've provisioned for a further 1500 now now for private tenants because they were the ones as well that I, that I am also concerned about another measure was agreed today and what that means is people who are above the social housing limits that we provide assistance where they can to purchase that through the first home scheme or secondly if they can't afford to do so that we will that we will get approved housing bodies to buy the home and rent that back on a cost rental basis but and that's something that we've been working on that's a very is significant that ready to go that's a very significant move forward it, it won't be ready for you the see, first of April but there's a, a, a window of vulnerability here that you're leaving people uh, who will be evicted that you're leaving them into because that, that legislation won't be ready until the summer at the very least where will people go who are evicted in April and May well, Cormac, you can't look at it in isolation either because the measures in relation to the additional purchase of homes, the 1500 is in place now. Hmm, well, on Thursday's drive time, Sarah had a similar line of questioning with Fine Gael's Barry Ward. I've heard, and indeed I've, I've been involved in putting questions to members of government this week, and I've heard many questions put to members of government this week um, about what is going to happen in the short term, what is going to happen in three weeks' time to people who are evicted on the 1st of April and find themselves with nowhere to go because homeless uh, emergency accommodation is full, there's nowhere to rent. And I haven't heard an answer to that. I've heard it put to the Taoiseach, I've heard it put to the Taoiseach, it's been put to the Housing Minister. I'm going to put it to you now. I don't know, do you have an answer? Where should people go on the 1st of April? Well, it's, I mean, there's undoubtedly an intolerable situation for people who are looking to rent. I'm a renter myself, so I do understand that. Um, and it's very difficult to face people who may be in a situation where um, they are facing um, a notice to quit. What I would say is it specifically has been built into this, the fact that there is no cliff edge. It's not something that's going to happen at the end of this month. It'll happen over a period of time. And the hope is that those people will be able to find somewhere. It's not the case that there well, sorry, is nowhere... No, that's, that, sorry, yeah. sorry, but that, that's not true, is it? There's no cliff edge in that they're not all going to happen at the end of this month, that's but right. some of them are. So those Some people are, yes. for whom uh, it is going to happen on the 1st of April that they are kicked out of their homes, uh, many of whom have been living there for years and have nowhere to go, where should they go? Do you have an well, answer to that? Does anyone in government yeah, have an it's, answer it's to that? It's not the case. You started the question, Sarah, by saying that there's nowhere available to rent. That is not the case, but it is difficult. I'm not denying the difficulty. And some of those people are going to face very difficult situations in the short term. But the hope but, is And when you say very difficult situations... Do you mean homelessness? Some of them are going to face that, unfortunately, yes. But as I said at and the very beginning... And do you stand over that, Barry Ward? It's just that I stand over it, I think a lot of people in Ireland are watching open-mouthed with shock that the, a government is standing up and saying we have made a decision well, Sarah, that is going to lead to people being homeless, more people being homeless. It's a, it, first of all, as I said, this is not an easy decision ma to make. It is a decision that is made to, to prevent a, a greater problem further down the line. It is the right decision in the context of recognising the fact that fewer rental properties would be available if we allow the, the eviction ban to continue. And that's why the decision has been made. From Drive Time. However, on Liveline on Wednesday, some landlords with some pushback. So what are you going to do? I, and I have to sell it, I, I've given him his notice. He's there about six years and I haven't put the rent up. Even if I had been putting it up at the allowed amount, 
with those current in- interest rate hikes, it, it really wouldn't cut it anyway. Just all the things together, a cumulative thing, and it's like, I don't want to be in this anymore. And plus, it's costing me. I don't even want to put a number on it because it's too painful. I bought a house in 206, the height of it, yeah. to rent out. Over the last few years, like, I've kept the rent very low. It's in leash, so it's a rent pressure zone. Ours is 1050 for a two-bed detached house. What are you going to do, Mary? I'm selling. I'm most definitely selling. Uh, I'm going to deregister my property, Joe. I'm getting out of renting altogether. I bought my house, paid a mortgage on it for 20 years, lived in it for about eight years, and then I moved out due to family circumstances. We've had lovely tenants over the last 20-odd years. The previous one stayed for 14 years, Mm -hmm. and now we've lovely new tenants in. But I've given them the notice, Joe, because it's my pension. I paid for it. And I just can't get over the fact that we're suddenly public property. People don't even know the journey we had to becoming homeowners. And yet they feel justified in saying who I can sell it to, who I can rent it to. The regulations are unbelievable, Joe. I can't even put in a normal um, fire alarm in my rented house that I could have at home. I have to have a sealed unit because new regulations mean that tenants aren't trusted not to take the batteries out. That's all added costs. I don't earn a huge amount of my full-time job. That income is useful for me. I'm paying tax on it, but it's just mm-hmm. not worth the stress anymore. Like, Joe, last night I heard on the radio the minister saying, or the telly, that the minister said 44,000 properties have exited the market in the last five years. A lot of those are small landlords. If they had stayed or been encouraged to stay, we wouldn't have a housing crisis. So why are we being blamed for it and told how we should live our future and now being made responsible nearly for the homeless crisis and for the future of tenants? I don't understand it. So I'm getting out. From Liveline. But we will finish with an interview on Thursday with Ryan Tuberty and Carl Geary. Now, Carl is not a politician, nor is he a housing advocate. He is a writer, a fiction writer. And he landed in New York at the tender age of 16 and, for a short period of time, was homeless. I was watching the news last night and the, you know, the shouting going on in the doll between Leo Varadkar and Mary Lou MacDonald and then... I was thinking there are people who probably turn the radio off because they're so worried about their future. Yeah. Uh, the rent, yeah. not being able to make it. They've got two kids upstairs. They can barely put a uniform on their backs and they're going, what happens? Like, yeah. Could you imagine the knot in your stomach thinking what's coming down the tracks for those like, families? I mean, it's amazing. We've, we've suddenly misplaced uh, 250,000 homes. Um, I, I, I don't. My own experience, I you know, I speak about homelessness in a small section. It's not a book about homelessness, but Juno, for a brief period of time, is homeless. Uh, I've experienced that myself. I experienced it in New York in the 80s um, while working two jobs. What did it look like? Could you mind me asking? Well, the one that, you know, there's so many aspects to it. I mean, there's the physical aspect. It's dangerous. It's really dangerous. It's freezing cold. Um, but more than that is this sense of, like, shame because... We've now placed uh, shame on on people uh, almost as if it's a moral failing to be poor now. And we should remind ourselves, 90% of the world is poor. Do you know? It, it's not all their fault. So th- you have to look at it from a systemic point of view. But for myself, uh, I had uh, left where I was living because it was dangerous. Um, I had to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, you know, a short period of time, under two months, yeah. 
I, I, you know, slept rough. Um, can you still I, feel that cold? I can. Yeah. And, and actually, it was just, I was lucky, you know, because there's this other notion that we pull ourselves up, you know, by the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. We get help. I was helped. Shane was the one who kind of stepped in. And I don't even think he realised how, where, what my situation was. And he's like, I got a spot. You're good. And that breath of fresh air to just for a second yeah. feel like hope. Hope. Yeah. And, and you're safe. Yeah. You know, they're not small things, yeah. but it, it is a primal fear. Yeah. I mean, we, we need to have shelter. And while he was slow to go down that was better in the olden days route, he did have this observation. It, it does feel quite shocking that we're, st- we're talking about this level of homelessness. Well, in, it is. In... And also, like, we've had bad parents. We had colonialism, then we had Catholicism, and now we've corporatism. And I'm not convinced that any of them really care or have our best interests at heart. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem so. Yeah. I stayed in a very nice hotel last night yeah. and I stepped over several homeless people to get into it. You know, yeah. and also, again, you know, if you compare it to the 80s, we, th- we weren't faced with this grotesque inequality. We didn't have to sh- walk around Dublin as a shiny capital and go, why don't, where's my, what, why am I part of this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was a different thing. And so I think people have it actually harder now. Novelist Carl Geary with Wine. His book, by the way, Juno Loves Legs. Back in a bit. Falter or rash? Go on, start, start. Start the nishkur amahagat, tadini egg tigolaisak. Hey, that's the Egonia Grit. That's all I remember. Hey, well done. Well done. That's, a, that's our bit for shocking the gale again. No, I'm joking. That's it. That's it. Oh, the nerves and the pressure to get the couple of fuckle out. And if you are struggling, don't even think of this old chestnut. We will set Ray Cuddy on you. If you're in uh, a classroom and you're teaching kids, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? If you're on the radio, I mean, if you're sending a text to your buddy on WhatsApp, you know what I mean? Just give it a go. And I suppose that's the message from Shakhtar Nagoya, which is also going on at the moment. Yeah, I suppose what a lot of people would say, you mentioned the classroom there, is that Danirucht wasn't really the kind of uh, wasn't really the kind of philosophy in the classroom. And a lot of people would say they were turned off it by the way it was kind of beaten into us. Like, no, this is something that's often talked about. But I think this thing of it's the way it's taught that that yeah. phrase always comes back. I, I think that's a massive cop out for an awful lot of people. It's a lash scale con like uh, with, to not make an effort. Do you know what I mean? Okay. It's a, it's a, it's 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 an easy way out. Uh, you know what? I would use it, but instead, it's much more um, it's much more present than that, and it's much more present when you make an effort. Unless your lash scales, Brendan the Muncher, will have you, but he is more than happy to mix and scratch it. And we've talked about this before, but there is a big revival going on. There's a big revival going on among among uh, the younger generation. A lot of it uh, playing itself out in music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we have we spoke about them before, the rappers from Belfast, Kneecap. You also have like a rapper from Dublin. His name is Cello. And he has a lot of like his song titles, Ask Goylen, Goylen mashed into the lyrics as well. And he's making real drill rap music. But then this like and then you got uh, Denise Chyla as well down in lyrics. So it's coming into rap an awful lot. And like there's something in that as well. There's there's something working on an ethnomusicological level there that like these African Irish 
kids are making rap music you know what I mean it's just okay. there's identity going so on an there. identity mashup yeah, yeah. Uh, um, tell us we'll have a listen to a bit of um, Seamus Barrow Sullivan now tell us about him so Seamus Barrow Sullivan uh, he's a poet from Listowel County Kerry he's also a rapper and a brilliant brilliant artist a Shannon singer as well Culture. yeah so he's okay. taking that storytelling into yeah. rap music okay let's have a listen And with Claire, Mancon and this. Skihan Lahar. Kadeshin. Skihan wings, Lahar leather, leather wings. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A bat. And when it comes to bats as well, we had skihan lahar, as you say, but there are other words too, aren't there, for bat? Yeah, exactly. Eel tog is another. And so eel means a flock. So it's just because one of the people would have seen these sudden flocks of them going on. Or the other one, um, the sort of, is a boss eha, which is... um, uh, it's sort of, you know, no wonder people are afraid of bats when you have a word like that. Bossiha, which is like, you know, death of night. Like, mm-hmm. so it's it's not it's not the sort of thing that's going to, um, or boss doroche, actually. Um, yeah, sort of black or darkness, um, death. Lovely. Next up, squirrels. And when glass is not really glass. Irarua, no, ira glass. Yes. Irarua, a red squirrel, ira glass, a grey squirrel. Which is green in my Irish. I know, that's what, so that's an example of how an, of a different language gives you a different way of seeing the world. Because, as you say, glass is green, and then, do you remember, glass is green, and then oinya is for artificial green, which is always a lovely difference. Um, but then, glass actually meant the colour of the sea. And, you know, to a people of us who've been speaking this language for two and a half thousand years on this island, who've been living on the island for longer, looking, that sea wasn't just green, it was blue, it was grey, it was all these different shades. So then glass can refer to those different shades of the sea. So as you say, era glass can be, it's, it can be used for grey, for grey in the form of animals, that can be a bit of a shimmer. So a grey, a horse, a, you know, can be, used, you say, you say, mm-hmm. like a couple glass. It's not a definitive grey. You know, it it can change depending on the light, the seasons, and whether they're standing with the shade of a tree or something. Exactly, which is what any artist will tell you. You know, you for, even in school, in art school, they say, "Look at that painting. White thing is not white." So it's almost yeah. that lesson. People, it was just perception. People were looking around them. Well, even Iraru is weird, you know, because darig is is one of the words for red. Yes, but there's a very specific darig is either very strong or very bright red. So f- a fire can be darig, or the different uh, layers of the soil it can be a dark red, or blood is always Derek but then Rua is often the hair so it's more sort of russet red and if you are Igmarkyacht this weekend do hold on to your stallion lest you Oscar yeah so you know the, the Irish for a rider is, is Markach but that's from Mark which is one word for a horse and then Pal is another and Ach is an old word for a horse Klibishtin is a shaggy horse Falara an ambling horse Garon is a gelding or a pack horse it can go on and go oh Oscar I love Oscar is to fall off a horse or a tree to tumble off something that you're clinging on to it's the Oscar. It's a verb. There's no equivalent of an English. Never heard it before. So yeah. to Oscar is to fall. Yeah, you could but, say, but, but not, not fall, but fall off something you're trying to stay on. Yeah, and the old buses, remember where the door was at the back and you held on to the handle? Yes. Old Oscar, my own bus, I sort of jumped out of the bus. On Sunday, Miss Eleni, Shunnock or Fox by Catherine Foley. Shunnock. Nirevon Farahor Kinta, Govakashi E, Nurkashi Egan Vinog, Ilor Nahiha. 
anel colata egelu uhi fui hollis shave na gali agus garad don lampishroida a moher moher ri rodegen haragata niravanak splank oben akvishi kintakor shonach avion a erable a yechracht agus a smacht er hor via er hor na kohawale egamacht lafana mar haivsha Gachainya in a gulla se shroid valia ach isha. Agasan shanach. Dat a creela hahas. La ha haigla garda. Dordiga kyanla dokas. E kasadir a laba. Khinikshir. Shalgarin a hiha. Gashkir an vohreen. Lubrun a skahane. Eg banu gach oit. Lena hlatin driachta. Fox. The watcher wasn't certain she had seen him when she stood at the window in the middle of the night, sleep eluding her. Under the gentle light of the moon and near the street light out on the road, something ran past her gate. It was only a sudden flash, but she was certain it was a fox. His tail, his intensity and his control in the search for food, in the search for sustenance, moving down the hill like a ghost. Everyone in the village asleep except for her and the fox. Her heart swelled with happiness, her face spread with a smile, her head lifted with hope as she turned towards her bed. She thought of him, hunter of the night, warrior of the laneway, creeper of the shadows, blessing everywhere with his little wand. Beautiful. And if all of that is whetting your appetite, you might want to head out of an evening to a pop-up Gaeltocht. Evelyn O'Rourke, the cupola fuckle falling out of her, went to Madigan's pub on O'Connell Street, where she was egg conch with Garold. So you're from Mead? I am indeed, yeah. So, I'm talking about Gaelic, or I'm talking about Gaelic, or I'm talking Are you always speaking Irish? No, you're right, you're right. I'm talking about Gaelic, so I learned learn Irish. Wow, so when did you really start learning Irish? Started... At school, obviously, right? But in I real did. life for you? Actually, it's quite funny. When I failed my uh, junior short mock, I decided, right, I have to try and learn this Irish, because otherwise I have to pass my exam. So you no. weren't speaking it at home? I wasn't at all. And then when I got into a little bit, I started enjoying it. I said, OK, it's actually a bit different. And then basically, I started learning about myself. And then I got to college level. And then I said, right, there's some guys here, they're interested in Irish too. I'm going to try and see if I can speak to them. There's a couple of fuckle full of lot. I made that kind of habit with my friend, actually. And we started speaking a lot. And there's other guys there as well, they love speaking Irish. And uh, I think just by using the language regularly, it just, my grow grew, if you like. College is incredible. I mean, you. you have a beautiful accent. Thank you. As you can see, I started off just not really liking the language, then I loved it. Now I'm very, very passionate. And uh, that's grown over a number of years now. August, have fun, yeah. We'll give it a go. Here's Alex. I work for Bussaren, so generally I don't deal with the public, but when I do, I always wear it because when people do recognise it, I feel great. I try to wear it whenever I go out, really. Mean the Nilartis Goyle, Gnu would say Gahan on it, because it's very rare that somebody will actually speak to you in Irish. Is it a Tarlene Sheen, a one East Minican, not a Capasa? I think she's a Muvion, Gohomlan, Nurbina Desh, and Agamse. Like, you always hear that no one really speaks Irish. From what I found, people have way better Irish than they think, but a lot of the time they're a little bit too nervous but from what I found funnily enough since we started wearing face masks from Covid I think the kind of the anonymity gives people a little bit more confidence to give it a go I think so before Covid like finding a a Gaelgor was a bit more challenging than it is now I mean the more Irish I hear I'm happy out Agus Anish Trimano who are always sauce to mix it up Shun Sinead Agus and Passions 
well nobody's going to love you if you don't love yourself yeah. no, nobody's coming to save you to passion to food hainic Swagger. Oh, swag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you no. swag again on the hand and dial up? Yeah. That's swag with little gems like these. On Neula, the Hachtenagwelga, the ninth day of Shachtenagwelga. Today's word is glyer. To beat noisily, to pelt or pummel. Drumma a glyra, to beat loudly on a drum. A glyra hyol, playing music merrily and rambunctiously. A glider dousen is dancing passionately, working up a sweat on the dance floor. Hulame glider cusser an orlao. I heard the clatter of feet on the floor. A glider dousen, a glider in the drummy, dancing wildly to the beat of the drums. Then there's also a glider barsti, which means pelting down with rain. Togigi marshin livenyov on Albert, so please take with you today the phrase a glider hyol. Playing music merrily. A glyra kyol, a glyra kyol, a glyra kyol. Back in a bit. Welcome back. On Mooney Goes Wild, a bit of a classic. Some might even say an old chestnut. But might I have heard the first cuckoo of spring? Finbar certainly thought so. At 2pm on Friday the 24th of February this year. And you have a question for the panel, is this an early recording? Yes, is this an early recording? I think it is. It's early by at least six to seven weeks. Do you think the experts will believe you, Finbar? I doubt it. (laughs) But I don't mind, Derek, because I know I heard a cuckoo. Oh, Finbar, knowing you heard a cuckoo, but persuading Aina you heard a cuckoo, is an entirely different matter. I don't believe anything. I'm a scientist. <laughs> and there are four possible ways of treating anybody who sends in something like this. Four possible scientific ways of doing it. So let's, let's examine the scientific ways and then let us see which one we might apply to Finbar. First of all, this might be somebody looking for their five minutes attention on the radio and making up a story. No, I'm not saying them to say not. No, this. no, he's not. He's I'm not. not saying this applies to Finbar. Would you listen to me? I'm saying <laughs> there are four ways of treating stories like this. One is that it's been made up. Right. right. Number two is that someone is pretending to be a cuckoo down the road. Someone like our wonderful Ken Whelan, who says, I, ha, ha, I'll pull Nile Hatch's leg, I'll hide in this garden and I'll pretend to be a cuckoo and I'll fool Nile Hatch. So somebody who's really good at imitating the stuff is actually doing this. So that's that's another possibility, possibility for this. And the third possibility is that it could actually be an early cuckoo that has come and this is the truth and this is completely outside the average range but I mean there's always has to be somebody first there always has to be something that's an exception so I mean that is quite a possibility and the fourth one is that he's hearing a sound definitely a sound but he's mistaking it for a different bird so either it's not the truth 
mm-hmm. either somebody's pretending, mm-hmm. either something has been heard that's been mistaken for a cuckoo, mm-hmm. or it's actually a cuckoo mm-hmm. itself early. So they're the four things. So now, looking at how wonderfully we heard what Finbar was saying, we can discount and come to whatever conclusion we like. So it's not a question of believing. They're the four options we have. Yeah. So we discussed this among But I, I think it's obvious that Finbar knows his birds. That's one of the four then discounted. Yeah. This man does know So he's birds. not mishearing. Yes. yes, right. Well, to answer Finbar's question directly, uh, yes, it would be a very early record of a cuckoo. It would be exceptionally early. Uh, and that's not to say it's not genuine. It may well be. Uh, we do know that there was a, a genuine record, apparently, of a cuckoo on the 20th of February 1953 in Surrey in England. Uh, so it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. Uh, but it is very unusual. It certainly mm. would be very noteworthy. So there, Finbar. Doubt you were expecting that. From Mooney Goes Wild. Wednesday, International Women's Day. High five and go the sisters. And on Drive Time, the business desk brought us these words from Christine Lagarde, President of the European Central Bank. When I was first appointed Managing Director of the IMF, I looked at the photos. Strings of men. The Bretton Woods Agreement in New Hampshire that set up the IMF. Not a single woman and yet 45 countries represented. When I look around the governing table of my institution, the European Central Bank, we are two women out of 26 people sitting at the table. This is not good enough and we can do better than that. Hard to argue that one. But it was this next insight that I suspect will resonate. I am still short on confidence, I tell you. And I remember discussing that with Angela Merkel and she also told me she was short on confidence, which is why we generally super prepare a file, a meeting. We are brief to the extreme. We know inside out all the details and the numbers and all that. And we spend the whole night before the meeting that we have the following day working and studying. We do that much more so than colleagues. We do. Look, look at yourself. Think about it. And that from Christine Lagarde. On The History Show, another remarkable woman, Roscommon-born Margaret Cousins, perhaps better known as Greta. Co-founder of the Irish Women's Franchise League with Hannah Sheehy Skeffington, she also lived in India for 40 years, with emancipation, education and empowerment as her watchwords. Sinead McCool told Miles about a woman ahead of her time in so many ways. In terms of her work with the Irish Women's Franchise League, like a number of her contemporaries, uh, she spent a certain amount of time in what we would describe as choky. She, she, <laughs> she was she was arrested a couple of times and she was jailed. Yes, and and you know when people think about those uh, suffrage cartoons and all of that, or the the people that you know went to jail for the cause. I mean, she's she's one of them. I mean, she's breaking the windows, and she talks about you know that the sound of the breaking windows reverberated throughout the world. That that they were talking about you know breaking making the system and you know she talks about the spirit of women being epic and something that we would sort of associate the wording even today and so what you find when you look at the work related to her was she seemed to be somebody who was able to network in the true sense you know we use all those terms today like you know influencer and networking and all of that and and she was doing it at such a high level from such a young age and thanks to her actions and those like her in 1918 limited suffrage was indeed given to women but by this 
this time, Cousins had joined her husband James in India and started teaching. But really, this was her way to highlight social issues. And such was her standing in the country that in 1923, 100 years ago, she is appointed as the very first female magistrate in India. Margaret took her place on the bench of Saidaped, the court of Madras, on the 19th of February, 1923. And... She talked about it as a new beginning in the administration of British India, obviously, before India got independence. And when she talked about it in her book, and she talked about the feeling that she had, and you know you'd expect that she'd say, like, she she was full of joy and she was proud and all of that. And then she described her feeling as loneliness, being the only woman in, in a vast country. And all of a sudden, you know, have this image of her as, you know, that she's the one who's on that bench doing that. And then she said that as soon as other women became appointed, she said that an age-old inhibition on the activities of women in the service of the country was broken, which I thought was a really lovely way of expressing that. Sinead McCool on the History Show on the remarkable life of Margaret Cousins. Now, though, to a total gear change and maybe the only question worth asking this weekend. Who are you wearing? If it's not Gucci, we're not going. 14 Irish Oscar nominations. For Morning Ireland, Sean Whelan spoke to some of the contenders. First up, Kerry Condon. Jamie Kimmel is um, going to be presenting and I did his show. So I'm looking forward to seeing him because that's quite a difficult thing to do to host a big long show like that. So I'm looking forward to that and seeing the performances. I think Rihanna is going to be performing. So I'm looking forward to that. So it's not all about me. Do you get good seats? (laughs) I think we'll get good seats, yeah. Usually you do if you've got nine nominations. Nine, Sean, nine. We're not going to be at the lose. But then Richie Bainham nominated for his work on Avatar. You've got this nomination. Congratulations on it. I mean, it's an amazing film to have worked on. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's, it's lovely to be congratulated on the movie because really that's where it stems from. The nominations are great and it's a lovely recognition. But truly, the work is what counts. And if people connect to the movie, that's a job well done for us. And that's really where it's at, you know. It's like getting, getting people to respond. All about the work, absolutely. But oh, look over there. Well, we've met uh, Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, Guillermo del Toro, just uh, just all of these cinematic heroes of ours, you know, and to be in the same rooms as these people and speaking with them, having these conversations, getting a bit of advice as emerging filmmakers, it's been remarkable for us. So, yeah, we're, we're chuffed to be here. We pulled a lot of funding together on, on Kickstarter and, you know, public funding. It was uh, it was a real kind of homemade spirit around the film. So it feels feels lovely to end up with, surrounded by all this kind of pomp and ceremony, but it's a far away from where we started. Laudable humility, we thank you, but also for the glitz earlier. That was Tom Berkeley and Ross White from An Irish Goodbye. With Ray, the mammy of the moment, Dervla Meskel. I am his plus one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty magical, yes. Yeah. And uh, have you, have you um, thought about walking down the red carpet? Because it's something you've seen, obviously. Um, We've all seen it, we know what I it is. I have, I've seen it. I, you know, I watched E and I watched, you know, the, you know, when the stars go into that three, is I don't know if that's right, 365 camera, you know, where they oh, yeah. twirl around and do all that thing. Uh, Ryan Seacrest, you know, and he does that thing. Um, so I've watched it. I've watched it for years and years and years. It's all a bit magical and it's all is a bit it? like yes. we drove past. We drove past like where the Vanity Fair party is going to be. 
and like it's all set up so it's a bit like the pope's visit <laughs> sorry <laughs> but it's got like all these tents and bits and pieces and maybe a very alternative pope's visit anyway she went shopping when i knew i was coming i went and bought matching <laughs> matching luggage it's kind of always been a dream because <laughs> I always perceived people with matching luggage were pretty pretty amazing <laughs> so we actually got matching because normally I'm usually if I go anywhere I'm usually saying can I borrow your suitcase do you need your suitcase I'll borrow it so anyway I went and bought matching luggage for myself and Paul like you're in departures in uh, air, you know at uh, Dublin airport and there's a red carpet and there's stars and there is all this magic yeah. and um, and then we got to travel kind of first class with mm-hmm. their lingus and it was very <laughs> no but like it is the way to travel guys I'm sorry it was pretty pretty fabulous telling it like it is but we will finish with the very lovely Catherine Clinch from on Colleen Kuhn it's amazing. I mean, I I'm so shocked. I'm I'm really excited, and especially I'm I'm really proud of Ireland and everything we've done to get here. And yeah, I'm I'm so excited to be here. Well, I think everybody in Ireland is really proud of you and what you've achieved in in that uh, that movie. But are you enjoying it? Yeah, I am. I mean, it's this has been an amazing experience for me. It's been out of this world, really, and I'm so grateful. And I'm really just. I'm so happy and I've met so many amazing people as well and yeah I'm just I'm so happy to be here. Green carpet walk done her parents took her back to their hotel and a good night's sleep while the adults went to a Hollywood party. And you know what that means Uh, no we don't so please win the Oscar go to the party and come back with some hot gossip and maybe a stolen ashtray up to you. Well, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. And we will play out with this RTE Choice winner, CMAT. <laughs>